Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I'll, I'll be the host uh, for our presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, March 19th, 2023. Let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, March 17th. Uh, on Friday, the for the 7 a.m. meeting, that number is 20,063. That's 20063. And for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, 20,064. That's 20064. This morning, A Vision for You presents My Bottom, The Solution and Journey to Freedom. So this morning, our speaker, uh, Trisha, is going to share about uh, desperation, the powerlessness, some of the medical consequences and shame that uh, she experienced hitting bottom. And then she's going to share about uh, her story, just about how the application of the 12 steps resulted in a relationship with the power and the freedom from compulsive overeating. You know, in OA, uh, I have to wave the white flag with fervor to take the first step. There's no, you know, no two ways about it with that waving the white flag. And let's face it, that's not an easy proposition. And why is that? Well, I think, um, you know, think about the AA 12 and 12 does a really good job capturing the essence of, of this challenge for us on page 21. It says, who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. And it says that every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that glass in hand, fork in my hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking or eating that our only an act of providence can remove it from us. And so, you know, this, this bankruptcy, you know, bankruptcy is never a good thing, right? But, but we're reminded that no other type of bankruptcy is like this one. Because for, for you and me, food bleeds us of all self-sufficiency, the will to resist its demands. But here's, you know, here's where the sun, the sunlight of the spirit, you, you know, can enter. And, and once we can accept this stark fact, our bankruptcy is complete. And only through utter defeat are we able to take the first steps towards liberation and towards a strength that will come from this access to power. In fact, our admission that acceptance of personal powerlessness finally turns out to be the bedrock upon which a happy and purposeful life can be built. So this is where God can 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 mold the clay, you know, the, 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 the potter can mold the clay into something extraordinary. And I've seen it again and again. Perhaps you've experienced it as well. And on page 30 in the big book, I'm given instructions for what's necessary to take the first step. Does we learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics? This is the first step in recovery. And, and with this first step, there's a delusion. It says the delusion that we're like other people, because I want to be like other people. It has to be smashed. And so the first step is about an acknowledgement and acceptance of my power, powerlessness, right? I'm powerless. In other words, left to my own devices, left to my own power, I, I've got no shot. There's no way for me to extricate myself from the quicksand. I've got to be pulled from the, the quicksand. And, and based on that data, based on that information, can I concede to my innermost self that I, that I qualify? And, um, 
And so one of the defining features of having this disease is it's like a, a, a fire hose of tiny humiliation. It, it blasts you constantly in the face. It never allows you to look away, even when we want to look away. But once again, we, we, we take action after action after action. We trust in this process of the implementation of the steps. And, and what do we do? Well, we, we embark on a journey to true freedom. And freedom from what? Is, is it freedom from the bondage of others? Not really. Is it freedom from the bondage of externals? No, it's the ultimate liberation. Freedom from the bondage of self. So joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope, we have Trisha D. from Georgia. And Trisha is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. She's devoted to, to the uh, practice and the, uh, the implementation of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. So with that, I'm going to hand this over. Please join me in welcoming Trisha D. to the line. Trisha, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? I can. Your Larry? comments are great. Okay, super. Good. Good check. Uh, anyway, thank you, Larry, for that beautiful introduction. And thank you all those who work behind the scenes at Vision for You. You know, Vision for You changed my life. The day that I got on my very first time in December of 2020, and I'm just eternally grateful. And as you know, Larry said, I am Trisha D. I'm, I am a compulsive overeater, and I'm from. I live outside about an hour and a half outside Atlanta, Georgia, and and home of the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, Georgia. So um, here we go. I'd like to dedicate um, these, my 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 story today. To all those who are still suffering from compulsive eating, especially those who are relapsing or those who just feel lost. And so I hope that my message of hope today helps you in some way. So I'd like to start with prayer. If you would please just join me. Um, as, and I thank you for allowing me to come into your room today, into your home, and just share my story with you. So Father God, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Please anoint my words with your message of hope to that one person, Lord, who feels alone and helpless, who is tired and weary from this disease of compulsive overeating, undereating, or compulsive behaviors. May my words spoken today inspire them to turn to you, the source of all power, to the solution that is alone, only you. Your will, not mine, be done. All righty. Well, let me start. As Larry mentioned, the title of my talk is My Bottom, The Solution, and My Journey to Freedom. Okay, so I would like to just, you know, I'd like to say this as a story. And so as stories begin, once upon a time, 72 years ago, a little girl was born in this family um, in a town in the South, in South Carolina. And, you know, she was very blessed to be in this family. But before I begin my story, I'd like to take a pause, take a deep breath. This is my first time sharing on Vision for You on Sunday edition. So I'm a little nervous. I'm just going to put that right out front. But I'd like to just share, how do I qualify to speak to you today as a compulsive overeater? You know, what were, to me, if I reflect, what are the indications that I suspected early in my life that I was a compulsive overeater. And immediately as I thought about this, this, uh, this quest of, of, you know, what was it that really 
was the indications for me early in life. I came immediately, my flashback to the big book. And on page um, 64 of the big book, it, it talks about we have a threefold allergy. And so immediately I went into those three areas. And it says here that um, we have, it says resentments. You talked about resentments being number one offender. But from it stem all forms of spiritual disease. We have a disease and it wants to kill us. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, but we've been spiritually sick. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And when I looked at that, I thought that right there in the big book tells me, which is something I never realized that I have. It's like that three-legged stool and all three legs must be strong in order for me to overcome this disease. And so physically, um, you know, where did these, these indications appear in my life? And I definitely have this phenomena of craving, this physical allergy. I know all my life, I couldn't just have one cookie. It was, I probably would go into several more, if not the whole bag. I always wanted more. I have a disease of more. I look at dessert, the menu, and when we go out to eat, and I wanted to know what was the dessert before what was on the menu or the entree. Um, I, it was amazing that, you know, as I got older, and this started in my youngest years, and I can, you know, look back through elementary school, high school, college, my whole, you know, my adult life, I was always amazed that somebody could eat one or two slices of a piece of pie and leave it and then say, I don't want any more. I go, are you kidding? I mean, I jump across the table. I'm just finished eating that. So I really did um, have that phenomena of craving all along in my life. And I kept my weight down. I really didn't have a weight problem really until I got really into my 50s and 60s because my, what I did was I, was a, I ran track and I was a cheerleader. And so I knew I had to see, keep busy and you know, I was a runner. I liked to run. I was a fast, short distance runner. And um, that's what kept my weight down and that supported my eating and my addiction to sugar. Emotionally, I looked at, you know, my past and I said, you know, I always thought I needed to have sugar in the house. For me, it was a combination of sugar and flour that was my, my addiction. And it made me feel safe. Like, I mean, I would panic if I didn't have my ice cream or my candy bars in the house at night. And I'd have to go out at the store and get them. Um, it just, I had a fear of not having enough. And I used to wonder why I had that. Uh, I came from, I'm one of, I'm number five of eight children. There was always plenty of food in the house. But I always had a fear that I wouldn't have, I'd get hungrier. I wouldn't have enough food. I think that was my addiction deep down all along. And it, um, it carried me all the way into my, into my adulthood. And when I just felt I wasn't, you know, being validated, I would certainly, or didn't get my way. You know, I wanted to control the outcome sometimes. You know, I would I would go with the sugar. Um, it, it was just you know part it just was who I was, and then spiritually, you know, I had a relationship with God all my life. Um, but in, it was really in the big things, but it was not in the food. You know, I really guess I can look back and say I served two masters, God and sweets. You know, and when it was big decisions in my life, um, where I would go to college where I would, the man I would marry, the, the um, ministries I got involved in throughout my adult life, 
you know, yes, I was, he, he was answering my prayers and guiding me. But when it came to the food and my sugar, that was one room in my house that I didn't let it. I didn't think he, you know, didn't make my God big enough. He made him too small. And um, that I just wouldn't let go of that food. I just didn't think that I wasn't right to let go of the food. And I didn't know that I was powerless. That was another thing. I never realized that God was a solution to my to my addiction to always wanting um, the this, this, this sugar and the flour. I look back on the big book and the doctor's opinion. And if you have your big book with you to refer to, I'm reading on page XXVIII. And I love those two paragraphs right there, the first and second one, that I'd like to read because it really sums up this whole experience of, of um, this allergy, this threefold allergy that we have. It says we, and it starts, I notice it's we. We are not alone. And so I call this out to those who are listening. You are not alone for those who feel you are, you know, welcome home because you have an awesome big book family, OA family, or Readers Anonymous. So as I read, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol, and in my case, compulsive overeating, on these chronic alcoholics, food addicts, is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomena of craving is limited to this class. I certainly had that allergy and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol or sugar in any form. And having once formed the habit and found they can't break it, once having lost their self-confidence, huge, that's a huge phrase there, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them, and they become astonishingly difficult to solve. And then that next paragraph, I'm just going to paraphrase there, frothy emotional appeal, or in other words, begging seldom suffices. I must have depth and weight. And it says, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So now my story begins because I want to share with you how God recreated my life and took me from the depths of an addiction to sugar and how I have just been, he, I've been healed not only physically, mentally, emotionally. And, he, and I'm still a work in progress. I never, never graduate. So again, again, the title of my book, of my book, of my story, My Bottom, The Solution and Journey to Freedom. <clears throat> You know, I thank God for all the struggles in my life. You know, they made me the woman that I am today. And I go and I thank God for my perfect, imperfect family. So as those all stories begin, I guess I start at the beginning when I was a little girl and younger. And, you know, as I reflect in this inventory that I look back on my past is mine and not my parents. I certainly have to talk about them to begin with because, you know, I'm good at um, expectations all my life, at expectations of my dad and my mom, you know, that I want them to be perfect. But you know what? I could accuse my parents that they weren't this or weren't that, but I realized it's my, it was, you know, it was my disease of not being enough. You know, I was middle, I was number five of eight children. And so there was a lot of um, 
love to be spread around. I came from a very loving family. My father was a hardworking man. He owned his own business, a department store. And, um, you know, he, and he had a wife and eight children. But I always wanted his attention, and I never felt I could get it enough. And I remember I'd jump up and down the side of his easy chair when he'd come in and want to tell him about my day. And, of course, he'd listen. But you know what? He, he, my father could give me as much as he could give me. He was worn out and tired, and um, he would go and have his scotch and water and have his newspaper and read his books, and he would tell me to calm down and not get so excited. But yet he could give me perhaps I wanted 100%, and maybe he could give me, you know, 30 40 50% of what I wanted and what I needed. Um, but, you know, I have a disease that says, I want more, I want more. So I don't want to blame them. It's part of this with my insufficiency. My mom, my mom was the greatest mom ever. She was a saint. And I was very close to her. But again, um, she was perfectly imperfect as well, as well as my dad was. And I speak for myself. But, you know, her children were her life. She dedicated her life to taking care of the eight of us and her, but her motto was peace at any cost. And when my father was coming home, she'd say, your children be good. Your father's coming home. And, you know, and so I learned to in life to, to stuff my feelings and don't rock the boat. When someone asks you how you're doing, you say you're fine. And that was, um, you know, that was how we were taught to project ourselves exteriorly. You look good. You, uh, what you say and what you do is who you are. But I found out that that's not who I are, I, who I am, as I'll share later. But they certainly, my parents loved each other, and I don't want to, like I said, blame them. And my expectations were my own. But they were married over 50 years, and um, I, that was a great, great gift that they showed me—that modeling, that commitment to each other. So, but again, I learned to stuff my feelings when I was, when I couldn't share them with my family. You grew up in a time period where people didn't really express their feelings. So again, my joys and struggles made me the the woman that I am today. And one thing that I did notice about my parents was they did struggle in communication. And, you know, I would say, well, when I get married, I'm going to be talking to my husband. Well, I'm going to advance my story a lot faster. And um, I've gone through high school. I've gone through college. And I'm still, the sugar is still much a very part of my life. But remember, I'm a runner. I'm on a track team. And I'm, I, even my courtship with my husband was we would go out running. And so that's how I kept my weight down all my life. But I knew I always had that addiction to sugar. Um, and it's funny, interesting, because after I finished college, I went on and I got a job as an airline stewardess for Delta, where they weighed and measured me before I could each month before I make sure I could still get on and do my job is on the plane. And I laugh now because today I weigh and measure my food. But back then I I was weighed and measured. But that was good for me and my confidence. They made me go outside my comfort zone and feel good about myself. But later on, I can say that as I went on to college and after I I was flying for a while, um, I had met the man of my dreams in college, and he was my best friend. 
but he was paying for the sins of my parents because I was determined that we were going to talk everything out. And so whether he liked it or not, but you know what, today we celebrate 50 years of marriage and he's still my best friend, but we certainly had our struggles. And we both were continuing with, you know, I was still in my obsession with my sugar, still hiding it. Because I, I did a lot of my sugar eating in secret um, with the sweets. And yet, you know, it was harder and harder. As I got older, we had three children. And um, it's harder for me to, to uh, keep the compulsive behaviors of running so to keep my weight down. And also, my husband had his own addictions, and he had a special love for his beer. So we both were quite a pair together, and we had our share of our of our aggressive, passive-aggressive behaviors with each other. You know, I resented his growing obsession with, um, with, with again, with his love for beer. And, you know, then he would maybe hit me like, yeah, you're putting on a little bit of weight. And I would just get resentful of that, like, I wish you would just love me unconditionally. But see, I was pointing my excuses at him. I was blaming, I'm like, using any excuse because I was good at pointing my finger at everybody else for my problems rather than owning up to them myself. So um, we were both pretty entrenched in our addictions, but somehow through the grace of God, we both stayed committed to each other. And, you know, we, our parents were both, my, his parents were also married 50 years, which is so unusual. And um, you know, this was something that I just, Thank God for that even through all the struggles that we both got into recovery um, and he's been in, I think recovery in AA for over five years and I've been in it over three years so and we raised our children you know um, and being open with our children about our addiction and about you know the ways that we could have been a better parent so today we both celebrate recovery together, and I am so glad that, you know, we can share faults together, we can laugh at each other, and, you know, I can, um, you know, understand and taught, and I, through the pro- process of this, of this beautiful recovery in the 12 steps, you know, I've learned to accept him as he is, and I think he's learned to accept me as I am, but that was only through years of working this program together. Um, you know, all my life I've been a teacher. And I've, you know, past, I guess, 30 years, that was my life. I was told once that take this as an omen, but you'll be with children all your life. And that certainly has been the case for me. But you know what? That sugar addiction went right with me. And I can remember I would go and get my Kit Kat bars in Harlan. I like them too. And um, they, I'd staff, you know, I'd say, oh, I'm getting my, this these candy bars for my children, for my students. Well, they sometimes got them, but many times I was eating. I had my stash in my office. But, you know, I had to keep asking myself emotionally, you know, who was in the center? Who was in the center? And certainly when I would deal with, you know, students, with parents, with teachers, I could get very defensive. And, you know, if I felt like, they were not following my script, so to speak. But I love teaching. I love children. And I felt God's presence when I was with them. Well, I'm going to fast forward very quickly on because I'm looking at my time, but I'm still doing pretty good. 
Um, right now, we have raised three beautiful children, and they, my, our children are the love of my life, and I'm so grateful. They're grown and married, and they're, um, have, I'm a grandmother. I have five grandchildren, and so I'm just um, very, very grateful that, I, I, that they are in my life today, and I'm making those decisions to have a family. But you know what, guys? We are, um, my bottom is approaching. I want you to hold on. I am going to be talking about my bottom because it's coming out pretty soon. At 58 years old, my husband and I both say, he tells me that we can retire. And I go, you're kidding. I'm thrilled. So we can retire. We're looking to those golden years. But also, at 58 years old, my addiction to sugar is getting stronger and stronger. This disease does get stronger and stronger. I'm not able to do my running like I used to and be all do all my exercising. And so this was taking a toll on me and on my health. And I had no idea all along that this sugar was slowly destroying a major organ in my body. So at 58, right, within a couple of weeks, really, after I retired, I started I started noticing early before, a little bit before that, but I started noticing I had signs of um, red spots all over my arms and legs. I knew something was wrong. And to make a long story short, after many doctor visits, I knew there was something majorly wrong. I was diagnosed with stage four cirrhosis of the liver. I had lost over 70% of my liver, and I didn't even know it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, my, my, my brothers and sisters were shocked. They go, how did you get that? You don't drink or smoke or do drugs. And I didn't. And there, yet I had a fatty liver disease and had lost, you know, major 70% of my liver. So, I'm, you know, it, what I can look back on now is I really believe it was the sugar that was slowly destroying. I really only had the physical allergy, but I had that mental obsession to the sugar. So for the next 10 years, I'm trying to save my liver. I'm going to, you know, the 30% I have remaining. I'm going to doctors, to kinesiologists, taking boatloads of, of um, supplements, anything I can do. You know, and, and mentally and emotionally through all those 10 years, even though I was going, I had blood transfusions, and my stomach had to be drained. I had varices in my neck. You know, it just, there was a lot going on, especially the last couple of years. But mentally and emotionally, I was, um, I never gave up. You know, I think I'm a personality that sees the cup half full rather than half empty. And I always believed that God was with me through all this time. I think my family was more worried about me than I was. I kept saying, no, God's going to take care of me. I think, um, I'm, he's going to take care of me. So now it's gone on for 10 years. I was 58 when I was diagnosed and I'm now almost 68 years old. And I'm very, very, very sick. I'm like a couch potato at this point. And I'm gone in and I had to go into the hospital because my sodium had gotten so low. I'm getting into a really close, low period of my life here in my, my bottom. And anyway, I'm in the hospital and and. It's going to be hard for me to share. But a liver came in during the night. I was on the transplant list. And um, it was, it was, you know, they forgot to tell me that the liver had come in. And I'm at the hospital, and at 8 o'clock the next morning, the surgeon 
knocks on the door and says, Miss D, we got it. Call me my real last name. He said, we have a liver for you. Did you not get the message? And I went, what? You have a liver for me? And he said, yes. And the gurney was outside my hospital room door, and they were ready to hush me down. Is God not awesome? Oh, I'm shaking all over just telling you this again, reliving this, because it was happened six years ago. And um, so they ushered me off on that gurney down that hall to the pre-op. And the surgeon turns to my husband and says, um, Mr. Mr. D, you don't have to take this liver for your wife if you don't want you to sign some papers. But if you don't, your wife will be dead in two months. That's how sick I was. And, of course, he signed those papers. And then the doctor proceeded, say, would you pray with me? Did God not? You know, in the de- God is in the details of my life, and I never made my God, my God big enough for me. And here I am being, you know, rushed off down to, to the surgery to get this brand-new liver. And then I wake up after about a nine-hour intensive surgery, three days of intensive care, Whew, and I am blown away that God came down from heaven and took, took a liver that was specifically for me, my blood type, my size. There were two men on the transplant list ahead of me, and because they were big men and I'm a, more of a petite um, statue, the liver fit me perfectly. God, not in the details. It was amazing. It was one of the greatest joys of my life. But you may say, oh, this was this year rock bottom? Mm-mm. No, it was not. Of my rock bottom was still to come. God still had more pruning for me. So it's about a year after my transplant, and I've lost a lot of weight after my surgery. It was a long recovery. In fact, they were so concerned about me losing so much weight. They told me, I put me on the seafood diet. And I went, seafood diet? They go, yeah, anything you see, we want you to eat. Well, you don't tell a food addict to be on the seafood diet. And so I, you know what? I certainly obeyed on that one. But my disease seemed to be in remission while I was recovering for that over that year. And I believed that the lies that my mind told me, I have a new liver, well, I can eat all the sugar I want. That was not true. So I go back to the doctor about a year later. I notice my feet and legs are swelling again. Doctor says, what's going on? And I said, How, is it my blood work? Is my blood work okay? Because I went and had blood work done every three months. That's how they monitored my liver. And I said, yes, it's great. You're a normal range for everything. And man, a bomb, a bomb had gone off in my heart. And this is my rock bottom. I knew what the problem was because I was back in the sugar. And I cried the whole way home. I cried. I was so ashamed. And this was about an hour and a half ride for me and my husband was driving me home. I never felt so ashamed, so angry, so embarrassed, so hopeless. You know, God had come down from heaven and personally given me a new liver, and this was how I was thanking him, plus the donor and the donor family. Oh, my gosh. How could I face God again and face this my whole life? I, I couldn't. I knew I was powerless for the first time in my life, and this was my bottom God knew that this old Irish woman was so stubborn and he was closing every door for me. And I knew that I had to do something. 
And it was during, you know, COVID. It was the year 2020 when all this was happening to me. And I was trying to reach out. I didn't know what to do. They were all, OA meetings were shut down. We couldn't, no person, I'd been in OA since 2010. But I was really doing, you know, and I thank God for all the sponsors in my life who have been so instrumental. Um, and, and God gave me each one in the right time of my life. But I think I was more took it more of an intellectual ex- exercise in the beginning. But anyway, so I called my former OA sponsor here. She was Virginia back in 2010, and she answered the phone. I was so desperate. I was like, Lord, help me. And she invited me to her Zoom meeting. But I know, and I was, and I was thrilled, and I went on uh, Saturdays. But I knew I needed more. And I kept praying, and God kept hearing, big book, big book. And I knew there was a meeting about a vision for you. And I, I was like, yes. I mean, I picked up that 300-pound telephone, and I got on that first meeting in December 2020. And I knew I was home. I knew that I'd heard my story. They spoke my language. I got a sponsor. Thank you, Nancy L., who was my sponsor, my very first sponsor, who took me through the steps initially. And, wow, what a gift. I started weighing and measuring my food. I went, you know, three phone calls a day. I was doing the action. You know, I hear this is a program not only for people who want it, not for people who need it, but, but for people who do it. And that was, the, that was the difference in this program, was people were very serious about their recovery. And so as I move on along, I got a nutritionist and followed that very carefully, and I went through the steps. And, you know, and I'm just so grateful. Um, I, I went on, and, you know, I felt like I had some, some struggles along the way, and I thought God was calling me to a deeper relationship. If I did have – I wasn't, didn't have a perfect abstinence there, and I did have some, some relapsing that I needed to address. Um, and that's when God – didn't abandon me again. And so with the, with the God instead of another sponsor, Barbara P., I went through the 12 steps again, looking for a deeper spiritual um, relationship with him. So now three years later, I can now say I found the solution. In the solution era, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And I, I just love the big book, and I read it. I can't read it enough. You know, in Bill's story on page 14, it says, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid, and it meant the destruction of self-centeredness. And I must turn in all things to the Father of light who proceeds over, over us all. Okay, I'm going to take a pause for just a moment and take a deep breath. And thank you for allowing me to share this first part of my story. And the, now I'd like to share with you how I have used the 12 steps in my life and how what they have meant to me as God has guided me in this solution on my journey to freedom, freedom from this disease um, and freedom from, from the bondage of myself. And so I start with, um, I just, you know, thank you for, for your attentiveness and listening today because Step one says, uh, we admitted we're powerless over alcoholic foods. And I'm saying, rather than saying alcohol, I'm saying alcoholic foods. And my life was unmanageable. Well, you can certainly attest and hear my story 
of how unmanageable I was. I could not put down the sugar much as I wanted to. But God never stopped loving me. And it took a liver transplant. You know, it, it's 68 years old before I finally was convinced that I had no control and I was powerless. And so this is, you know, what God was um, I so, you know, I was telling God all along that I was in control, but I wasn't. And yet it finally realized my powerlessness and that guilt and shame I felt that day driving home from the hospital. My life was unmanageable and this disease wants to kill me. All righty. So I'm going on now to step two. I'm going through these kind of briefly. God is in the details, my friends. Step two. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. What I realized in this step was when God closed the door on my bottom, my bottom bottoming out, that he wants a relationship with me. That's what I, why, you know, if I didn't enlarge my spiritual life, then I would, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I kept relapsing in the very beginning. He wants an intimacy with me into me. And this was um, something that I was was more than uh, excited to to go in, into this journey with him on. So, I, but I know that in, in a relationship, it's two relation, it's, it's two people, and so I have to put forth the action. You know, in in Bill's story, he said, you know, that 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 you had you have to page or two is a price that you pay for that destruction. Of self-fairness, I must turn to that father of light. And yet I had to swallow my pride and believe that, you know, I could not do it on my own. God was everything or God was nothing. You know, another another part of the big book that I love so much in We Agnostics, chapter 4 on page 51, it said that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of my life. And I can't tell you today I have more peace and serenity when I know that I can't, am I um, in his presence. You know, the, the, those defects of, of um, character don't jump out at me as much when I know I don't live in the past and I don't live in the future and I try and live in the present moment. And that has been just made all the difference for me. Going into step three, made a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understood him. You know, this has to be done daily. And I have to be recalling, keep remembering that I can't, God can, and I'm going to let him. You know, on page 52 in the big book, it says, God is the Father, and we are his children. But you know what? I need to die to my ego every day and remember that God is the director, and he wants to be, you know, that, that awesome, loving God and just to hold me in his arms and tell me how loving I am. And so only God can fill that hole in my soul that I've been stuffing with food all my life, stuffing with sugar all my life. And what did I do wrong? You know what? I would go back to my past. My ego would jump right in and make me reflect back on when I wasn't, you know, things I did wrong in my life. Or it would make me jump into the future, you know, going and be worried about something going on that hadn't even happened yet. Oh, my gosh, present moment, present moment. I also have to remember, too, is all those feelings. Remember, I was told 
to always say I was fine. You know, and stuff a lot of feelings. But now I can allow my feelings to give me that message. They're not who I am. They're not my identity. But they give me a message. But I, I need to observe myself and, you know, learn to, that feelings is not who I am. I am a child of God. Step four and five. I'm going to brief moving right along here. You know, making it searching and fearless moral inventory myself and sharing it with someone else. Oh, wow. You know, I was really good um, when I had to do the column on my resentments. I was real good at pointing my finger at everybody else who I was mad at myself, my husband, my father, my mother, my relatives, work. You know, boy, I was good at that one. But the, the fourth step that, that really was so cleansing for me was what was my part? Oh, that was an eye-opener for me. Like, oh, my gosh, my part? And when I could see my part, those barnacles on my eyes, the baggage that I was carrying, just started melting. God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. And, you know, that one other comment was, oh, God had me be. Wow. It was just through the guidance of my sponsor. I mean, it was just so revealing and so freeing. You know, part of that freedom that comes with working the steps. You know, also when I got to my fears. That fear, I had a fear of rejection and criticism and other people's opinions. You know, the big book tells us on 68, uh, now where to trust infinite God's brethren or a finite self. And all those fears and all those expectations that I had from my childhood, that that was something that was, um, it was a choice and expectation that I had. And I'm so glad that the big book talks about the, the, on page 417, the acceptance prayer. To accept what is, accept my parents and, and my husband and all my people I met in my life, they all were spiritually sick just like me. And so now I love in the big book on, it says into action on page 75. After we do that step five, wow, what a cleansing that is. I'm now walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Can you just, I can just picture that, walking in the sunlight of his spirit. Going on now to step six and seven, my story goes on. You know, we're entirely ready in step six. It says, to have God remove all, all these defects of character. But, you know, in the big book, talks, basically, am I willing? Am I willing to have him do, to remove these defects? And one of my favorite steps, but steps that I'm really working on right now for me personally is in step seven, humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings, my imperfections. That word humbly jumps. God is making me pay special attention to that. You know, am I just giving God lip service in my prayers? Am I really putting my heart in asking him to, to uh, remove my defect of being dishonest? I never thought of myself as being dishonest, but I found out as I worked the program you know, when I give the appearance of being perfect or acting superior because I'm, I'm a Raj and I know it all, you know, or not admit, you know, when I hear, I see faults from other people, but I forget to admit when I've done the same, I'm being dishonest. Also, I'm being selfish when I ask myself, I'm too concerned about me. I'm more worried, more want things my way. I call it image management. You know, that goes back to, am I enough? I'm still stuffing that hole in my soul that where I feel like I wasn't enough with that, with that food. Self-seeking, 
Mm, acting superior, people pleasing, getting my value from other people's opinion, gossiping, manipulating. You know, I can I can picture me. I mean, I have I, I'm a people. I really love people and I enjoy people and um, I, I'm very social. <laughs> you can probably I hear in my voice, but um, you know, if someone's telling a story, man, I got one better than you. Now that's self-seeking. You know, making myself something that I'm not. Also, maybe trying to make somebody something that they're not. You know, God put on my heart about um, in my day when I plan my day on awakening. I love that in the big book. Making the day a means, you know, try, excuse me, trying not to make the day a means to an end, but rather staying in the conscious moment. My ego wants me to live in the past or live in the future. And that's, you know, ego stands for easing God out. And so I have to be mindful when I am praying and I'm starting my day is to take God with me, you know, in, into every part of my day and not make the day a means to an end. Step eight and nine, you know, I love that. I made, I was able to make, I had several people on my list that I need to make amends to and um, making those amends. But the beautiful part was that it was so cleansing. And on page 80, it says, Put the out, place the outcome in God's hands. And it, did, and it was a beautiful experience. I'm so glad I did it. You know, there, there's the promises on step nine. And I can feel, I can really tell you, I can, I've experienced every one of them. A new freedom, a new happiness. I'm not going to regret the past and wish to shut the door on it. I'm going to know peace. You know, and, um, and I see how my experiences now can benefit others as I'm talking to you right now. My, um, you know, this uselessness and self-pity disappears. You know, this attitude and outlook on life will change. It, it's, just, it's just beautiful. It, it goes on down the list. And two of them know how to handle situations, you know, to stop and pause. And what is your will, God? Your will, not mine. I know God is doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And it's been a beautiful journey. Step 10, that's my design for living. Step 10, 11, and 12. You know, continue to take personal inventory and you're wrong, promptly admitted it. My design for living, you know, is that love and tolerance is our code. And, and you know, I just, it's amazing step 10s, you know, just actually when I get resentful and life doesn't follow my script, you know, I can quickly go, you know, um, go to God and say, who am I angry with or who or what and why and what's my part? You know, God, what would you have me be and make amends, call someone? And so I continue to this day and that's part of my, you know, my action is continue to, to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. I love the 10-step promises because then it's when I do those 10 steps and I live in those 10 steps, the, I don't, the food doesn't fight me anymore. And I, today I can tell you I'm in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. But the warning here that I you know, need to tell myself and hear it every day, the message, is this is how I react or we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And that warning is given to us on page 85 of the big book. You know, I'm never cured. I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. To some extent, now I become that, that God conscious, that sixth sense. So, you know, God, God wants, a, again, that deep, intimate relationship with us. He, 
they love that so much. And I so now we go into more action in step 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. As we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. This is my favorite step in the word thought. I had to seek God every day. Don't be shy about it. Do it constantly and stay in the present moment. And the big book again on page 80 said, gives us those directions and guidance. You know, in our nightly review or on awakening, um, you know, I even have a reminder on my phone to stay in the present moment. God wants that intimacy with me. And during the day, if I, you know, have um, you know, just things that are concerning me or I'm doubtful what direction, again, page 86, I pause, I relax, I pause, and I myself, I'm not running the show and humbly saying many times, thy will be done. So in page 85, I love this quote, and there is a solution. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had a deep and effective spiritual experience, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. And further on in the appendix, in the back it also says that in order to recover as compulsive eaters, we must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed by at once by a vast look and change of feeling and outlook. Again, that present moment. And I'm concluding, and I know I'm running out of time on step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry the message to alcoholics or to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, I love working with others. I'd be, I'm so relieved to know that God is a sponsor. And I only share my experience, strength, and hope. I love sponsoring, carrying the message. But I know that he tells me to leave the results to him because I know that um, this says an even bigger, this ensures in working with others, this ensures my immunity from compulsory eating. If I don't carry this message, I'm going to lose it. My therapist once told me that, you know, you're only happy in life when you're helping other people. And that is so true. And I'd like to kind of, in my closing, in, where it says into action, my real purpose our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. That's why I was born. That's my goal. And that's my purpose. So I conclude then. And now, again, this is really my conclusion now. You've heard the solution. So in closing in my journey to freedom, I'd like to end with the forward into the second edition on XXI. It says, yet it is our great hope that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. So my, my dear brothers and sisters in OA, only through the trials and tribulations and the anguish, the suffering, the shame, the closing of all the doors to, that I experienced in my life did I find freedom. And that is in working and I'm in, excuse me, in walking hand in hand with my creator and Lord in my recovery, working the 12 steps, staying in the present moment, do I find peace and serenity 
And I pray the same for you. And Larry, thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Oh, Tricia, thank you so much. What a what an inspiring, hopeful message of uh, of spiritual restoration and and, and love. And, and God spoke through you this morning, and we're so appreciative. So this could be a wonderful uh, addition to the Vision Archives. Thanks again. So now we're going to transition to uh, a Q and A uh, phase at this point. If you have a question for Tricia B from Georgia, we'll go to there. I'm going to give you the share ID now, and I'll give it to you a little bit later. The share ID for this morning's presentation from uh, Trisha is 20,067. That's 20067. So now if you care to uh, uh, pose a question to Trisha, press star one to unmute and give me your first name and last initial. Hi, Nancy R. from Indiana. Hey, Nancy Good morning. from Pennsylvania. Wendy B. Wendy I heard B. Wendy, Wendy B. And there, who was before Wendy? Was it? Sonia S. from Pennsylvania. Sonia S. Okay, thanks, Sonia. Who else? Nancy L. Nancy L. Anybody else this first round? Okay, let's get it started here. So questions for Trisha. Nancy, good morning. How are you? Hi, Larry. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I want to thank first. I want to thank the speaker for that awesome share. And uh, since since you've had experience with relapse, uh, how do you deal with the sponsoree? How do you deal with the sponsoree who is struggling with the food? That's what I'd like to uh, ask her. How she deals with sponsorees right. that are struggling with the food. All right. Thank you, Nancy, uh, for your question. And you know that's that's very much. Um, something that I've certainly had some experience with, you know, with someone who's struggling in the food and relapsing, you know, because I can certainly relate to that. One of the questions that my um, sponsor would always ask me was, how was your spiritual life? And, you know, I, I know for me, and as I've shared, it, you know, when I relapsed, it was because that I wasn't totally surrendered. They were still a back door that um, I was going to, that I thought I still had power. And, you know, it's, um, it's a program of action. And so I know that if I don't do that action, you know, get on my knees every day and, you know, ask God, you know, for, the, for, the, for his power in my life, that I am powerless, you know, that humble, that step seven, humbly ask him to help me. And then, you know, doing the action of, you know, I'm, I'm doing a food plan. I'm making my phone calls because God speaks to me through other people. You know, these all these parts of this um, attending daily meetings is vital. I attend a Vision for You meeting every single day, you know, Monday through Friday and on Sunday. I have to hear that message because I'm an addict, and I will easily not. My ego will get in. And I'll start believing those lies. So that relapsing is just increase your prayer life, increase your action. And that's what I have found that helps me. Thanks, Nancy, for your question. Yeah, thanks, Nancy. Okay, next up with the question is Wendy B. followed by Sonia S. Wendy, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for your beautiful experience and strength and hope. Um, so my question is, um, this is Wendy B. in Arizona. And um, 
So I heard your statement, trying not to make the day about a means to an end, but to be present in the moment. And um, mm-hmm. I just find it so easy to just get caught up in activities and tasks. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you had any like practical tips on how you do that. Oh, Wendy, thank you for that question. I love that question because that is something that I really have to mentally, mentally and emotionally really, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, so when I start my day, you know, starting my day with prayer and making that a vocal point in my prayer, saying, Lord, help me today not to make my day a means to an end and let me walk with, you know, I want to walk with you and that, you know, that imagery, that sunlight of the spirit. Um, you know, that when I go and I leave my prayer and I get up and I'm going, say, to fix my breakfast and to, do, I'm taking you with me. And, and, you know, I have like a little, you know, every time I pick up my phone, it says gentle reminder. I don't know how I did that, but it's somehow on, it says gentle reminder. And I, again, that's God. Um, I pick up little ways to remember that. And so even to say, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm going, folding laundry. I'm driving in the car, taking deep breaths. That helps me stay in the moment. And the more I do that, it keeps me from getting, thinking about my past, more so about my future, you know, my expectations. So um, that, I try to um, saturate myself as much as I can in any kind of communication that I can hear or in listening I can hear about the present moment. And that really helps me because that's where God is. He's not in the past. He's not in the future. And I want to be where God is. So, you know, because he's the power. So that, if that, hope that helps you, Wendy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a daily, daily um, exercise to stay in the present moment. And it's worth every bit of it. And it gets better and better the more you practice it. Thanks for letting me share that, and I hope that helps. And if you need, you know, want to talk more later, I will have my number at the end. I'd love to talk to you further about that. Thank you for asking that question. Thanks, Wendy. Okay, next up we have Sonia S. followed by Nancy L. Sonia, good morning. Good morning. This is Sonia S. from Pennsylvania. Tricia, your story was brilliantly executed and there's no doubt that I was supposed to hear your story this morning. My question is when you were going through your bottom or even now when you feel fear and despair or even sadness, what are the maybe the top three things that you do um, to help with that? Hmm. The top three. Th- Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for your question. Um, you said the top three things I do when I experience fear. Is that what you're saying? I think that's what I heard you say. Um, you know, when fear. you experience fear or sadness. Um, okay, what is, gotcha. What is your mm-hmm. method of of, of re- recovering from that? Okay, good question. Top three things I'm facing fear. You know. Um, I heard that fear stands for false events already ruined. And when I have fear, God is not there because God is not God is love. And so that one of the top three things is to be aware that, and it's okay to be, you know, we're humans. Allow, first off, allow yourself to be human because, you know, we, we're human. And when we have something that we find out that's causing us fear, um, to bring it, you know, bring it to God. First of all, bring it to God right away. 
And Lord, as I can look back now on my liver transplant, I can see everything I experienced, I would do it again because of what of the, of the closest that brought me to God and brought me on my journey to, to where I am today. I'm not the same person I was. And so I would, you know, gladly I experienced that. Um, fear is real and I'm not denying, you know, don't deny that you're in fear, but take that fear and take the message that it's given you, you know, okay, I'm, I'm scared, Lord, I'm human, but Lord, help me to trust you in this because I know that you've got a plan for me in this. And now I can look back because of my experience and say, you, there's going to be something that's going to be good that's going to come out of this. I don't know the outcome, but you do. And that seems to help me when I know that um, I get, when I, when I never gave up hope, you know, I just was like, he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. And so I, but that is the result of, of, of prayer. So three things, first pray. Keep an optimistic, you know, that, that acceptance prayer on page 417 in the big book, acceptance is the answer to all my things today, whether you know, every person, place, or thing, accept what is, and say yes to life, say what is, because God will not abandon you. So, Sonia, I hope those help, and I'd be glad to talk to you further about that as well. Thank you, Sonia, for the question. Okay, Nancy L., it's your turn. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Larry, and thank you so much, Trish. What a beautiful, beautiful presentation this morning. Um, boy, I, I could identify when you were crying all the way home, you know, when your legs were swollen and after the surgery you're back in the sugar and just buckets of tears. I, I've cried over over my weight and my behavior as well. And, you know, I thank you. I think that you did answer my question. My question was on um, how to place outcomes in God's hands, you know. Um, I guess I could ask you, you know, if you, when you wake up in the morning and you have an outcome in your mind of what you want something, how you want mm-hmm. something to be, uh, maybe especially mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's with another person, what, what do you do with that thought? Thank you. Oh, Nancy, thank you. Thank you so much for your question. How do I place outcomes in God's hands? Well, (laughs) I'm laughing here. Um, I found out the hard way when I didn't put my outcomes in God's hands. And, you know, my my expectations went dashing down. Um, You know, again, that acceptance prayer is amazing. I, I can tell you a quick story is that my husband and I were planning our 50th wedding anniversary. And it was um it was in this past Thanksgiving was our 50th year and we had, we were planning a small celebration with just our immediate family and children. And now we all got sick. I had all these expectations, you know, I had, we wrote love letters to each other, what we were going to share with, um, with our children, just our immediate children and and a couple of other close relatives. And we all got sick. And I mean, it, it couldn't happen. And you know what? Talk about dashed expectations. You know, um, and I just went, I just stopped and said, whoa, thank goodness for my recovery that I, that I had all that recovery because I realized, God, you had a different plan for this day. And, you know, it was still was a beautiful day and we still got to, you know, celebrate later on with them, with our, with the ones, with our children. But still that placing those outcomes, no matter what happens, 
um, I have to watch, again, my expectations. That's a big one because I get real excited, real easy about life. And about I'm, I'm a planner, and I, my children know me. I like to plan family gatherings all the time. And when I do, I have to stop and say, uh-uh, you're being the director. You're planning the show. Lord, what's your will for me? Because I will overdo it, go overboard. Um, and I've got to pull in, God's got to pull the reins in on me, and he does. So I hope that helps me and see and how but my outcomes is when I have found out that I, or that I, I didn't listen to him first. That was, that's probably the, the main thing is, is listen to him and let him be the director. So Nancy, I hope that helps. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks, Nancy. Okay, we got another opportunity to pose a question to Trisha D. Um, if you press star one to unmute your phone and give me your first name and initial if you have a question. Chris G. in Tennessee. Chris G. Who else? Barbara P. Barbara P. Denise L. Denise L. Anybody else? Okay, let's let's go ahead and start with uh, Chris G. Followed by Barbara P. Felicia has. Okay, Felicia, I'll put you on the on the the end there, and uh, we'll go with uh, Chris G.'s question. Thank you, thank you, Larry, and thank you everybody that uh, does service. Uh, thank you, Tricia, for uh, speaking today. Uh, I I really uh, I'm glad to hear you, and uh, I have uh, two adult uh, daughters. They're in their 40s. And I have an older sister, and we're very close. All three of them are overweight, and they know intimately what I do. I I talk about my life all the time. And um, my uh, my, uh, mother's mother uh, died because of obesity. And so there's a genetic component. And I wondered about your uh, siblings and children, if they're overweight, and how how you um how you how you love them and um oh. and I appreciate you uh sharing oh thank you chris for your question and and um i can i have you know i have i have four sisters and three brothers and i have three children and you know they were all becoming all shapes and sizes in our family and of course when I discovered um, the solution, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I would would have um, would love to have uh, would love to have. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, you know, it's all about um, attraction, not promotion. And the more I preach it, the more I will lose ground with my children. Um, you know, I some of my children, you know. Like I said, we come in all shapes and sizes in our family. But I know that it's a message where I have to just live it. And, I mean, I can share with them my experience, strength, and hope. But if I force it down them, I'm losing track. I'm losing ground. And, you know, I have to put them in God's hands and just say, you know, what? everybody's on a different journey. And when the student is ready, the teacher comes is what I believe. So if, you know, God has a plan for each of us, and it's not for me to 
be the director again and be in charge and to, to, to say, this is what you should do. Oh, that's like, that's one that never, I, I found never say you should do this because that backfires big time. So I think it just, just being um, who you are and being authentic and, you know, just what, how you live your life in the program and how they see, you know, you, um, do have that neutrality, or if you do from the sugar, and you do do your food planning, all the action you do, and the work that it involves, but, and that just how it builds your own self-esteem. I think that shows, speaks volumes to your your daughters and the rest of your family more than anything. But you have to just surrender that and put them in God's hands because that's not. It's really none of our business. It's 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 God's business, and that's what I, I have to go by. Thanks, thanks there, Chris, for your question. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Okay, next up we have uh, Barbara P. followed by Denise L. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Tricia. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh-huh, you uh-huh. shared so beautifully. <laughs> and what I heard was so much humility. And um, I struggle with that. And then I struggle with the self-compassion when I realize, you know, I'm, I'm practicing humility and I don't always get it right. And you kind of touched on this, like how it's easy to fall into the director and then step back. And I guess I just wondered if you had any tips for us because I really need them about at least how, do you, can you do that with self-compassion? Like do you get mad at yourself for going into that role or can you do that mm. with some compassion when it happens because I you know it happens a lot for me so anyway if you can help with that oh thank you Barbara thank you Barbara so much for your question on self-compassion oh that's a good one oh my gosh you know I can you know I tend to have um, be perfectionist which can be a gift and it can also be the death of me and I have to remember that I'm human and and um my sponsor <laughs> reminds me that I need to be kind to that little girl inside of me and that I don't have to be perfect. In fact, you know, as I said earlier in my talk, you know, I'm so grateful for my perfect, my perfectly imperfect family and my perfectly imperfect OA family and all those who are on the line today because it's in our vulnerability that I find that um, that binds us close together and makes us not feel alone. So in that self-compassion, um, just remind me to be human and to say, you know, give myself a break that I don't have to be perfect and um, be good to myself because, you know, I'm, not, I'm my hardest critic. I, the way I talk to myself, I would never talk to somebody else. So that is, God reminds me how loved I am. And he, again, that the more I just let, you know, I let him hold me in his arms and tell me how much he loves me, and that helps me so much to be kind to myself. Thanks, Barbara. I love you. Good question. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, next up we have Denise L. followed by Felicia. Denise, good morning. Hi, this is Denise L., and thank you so much for sharing. I really um, appreciate your share so much, and I'm new to a vision, and I'm on day six of abstinence, but it's just I don't have a sponsor, and I'm afraid that my sponsor isn't going to accept my food plan, even though I have a balanced food plan, and I know all the foods that, you know, I have a list of the foods that 
um, are um, addictive, addiction foods for me. And but I'm telling myself, like I feel hey, overwhelmed you, because so many, yeah, there's so many interrupt. people. Do you have, is, I'm sorry, is there a specific question you want to pose to Tricia surrounding what you're saying? Because it makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. How would you go about finding a sponsor if you're new and you know that you're going on willpower and that you need a sponsor, but um, you're overwhelmed with all the people? That makes a lot of sense. Tricia, you want to take that? Sure. Um, you know, you're looking for a sponsor, and you said you're on day six of your abstinence. And, you know, you said you're going on willpower. That was, you know, just, uh, yeah, you know, going on willpower. You know, I have to listen to that again because we have to surrender that. It's God's power, not our willpower. You know, the vision for you has a beautiful program. And, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning, you can get on. And you can, you know, if you haven't introduced yourself yet, Denise, to um, as a, you know, as, to you, know, you are getting on as a member of a vision for you. And that last 15 minutes of that hour, your sponsors will get on and introduce themselves, and then you know you can call different ones and and, and talk to them. You know, as far as your food plan, you know, you you said you were fearful about your sponsor maybe not liking your food plan. I think. You know, that's something, that's a dialogue between you and the sponsor. And remembering that, knowing that, you know, God is really your sponsor, but he's going to bring someone into your life. But just you look for what you want. You know, what you see something that you like in somebody, then, and you, what you sound like, yeah, that would be, would be a good, we'd click. Um, then, then that's maybe perhaps would be someone you could work with. Um, but again, it's turning it over to God and saying, God, show me, put on my heart who it is that he will bring, but you have to do the work and get on the phone and call people, interview people. And, um, I'm willing to talk to you further about that as well, Denise. So take care. Thanks for your question. Yeah. Great question, Denise. Um, and we'll get, uh, we'll get Trisha's contact information at, at the end of the, uh, recorded part of this meeting here. So hang on for that. Okay, Felicia, it's your turn for a question. Good morning. Felicia, press star one. Thank you. I'm sorry. I am Felicia. Uh, can I be heard? You can, absolutely. Great, thank you. Tricia, thank you so much for your message this morning. Um, my question to you is how do you personally decipher between what is your will and what is God's will for you? Mm, wow, good one. What is my will versus God's will? Thank you, Felicia, for your question. That's, that's a good one um, to really, uh, you know, my will, well, I'd like to think that my will is God's will, but it's not always, you know, the case because I'm a humanist and, um, having to, you know, we're thinking I can I can control the show and um, and I, and I already know the outcome and I don't know the outcome. Yeah, you know, that the bottom line there is prayer again. Is how do I discern my will versus God's will? If I don't have a peace within me, if and think, you know, even God is in the details, and I've never, you know. I thought God was in the big things and he didn't have time for me, even in tiny details like my food, 
you know, um, just directions in my day, you know, just little things, you know, that is, um, but more so is my will. I pray that, that I, that when I, in the morning, I give God my day and I walk hand in hand, him and I, you know, it says on awakening, we plan our day together and, and he, you know, stop and pause throughout the day. I think the pausing is really important throughout your day. That conscious, be aware of it, um, and be in the present moment. You know, that helps me to check, do a check-in on myself. Going, am I in God's will right now? Where's my head? Where's my thinking? In fact, thinking, don't think. Just stay. That that gets me in more trouble when I start thinking too much. The uh, God is right there with me, you know, and I, I just try to discern, you know, I, I'll feel it within me, I believe, too. If I get feeling like a bowl of jello, I go, oh, something's not right. Or I just feel an inner peace or inner lack of peace within me when I'm not in God's will. It just seems to happen for me pretty quickly. So, um, Alicia, I don't know, I hope that helps. My, my That answer is pretty brief, but I hope that helps in some way. Thanks for your question. Yes, thanks, Felicia. Okay, last call. If there's anyone that's, that has a question I'd like to pose to Trisha D, um, we'll, we'll take your first name and last initial. Press star one. And if not, we will go ahead and close the meeting. Okay, look at that, Trisha. <laughs> you, you How about that? I made it all. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. That's thank wonderful. you, Larry. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful, authentic, uh, inspiring message, and we're so appreciative. So we're going to uh, we're going to get uh, Trisha's contact information um, as soon as we're we're done with the recording. So we'll end the meeting with uh, reading from page one sixty four. This is our tradition here on this meeting, and it starts this way. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in this fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>